Welcome to the Catholic Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Levi Russell, and today is August 29th, 2020. So this week in my review of the economic conditions and policy issues and things like that that we're seeing, I want to start off with some discussion of a recent announcement by the uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Powell um, this week, and it was this is a big deal, I think, for um, the the going forward. So maybe not immediately, but going forward, uh, this is going to be a big issue, I think. And what 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 they've essentially signaled here is that the uh, the Federal Reserve is going to be looking a lot more at unemployment than uh, inflation, really. And so I have a nice article from Zero Hedge uh, where they talk about average inflation targeting. And this this particular article came out before the speech was given, but I think they do a good job uh, kind of going through what this idea of average inflation targeting is uh, and sort of what to expect. Uh, so I'm not going to go into this too much because again, I'm not uh, I'm not a, I'm not a monetary guy, but um, <clears throat> but I will leave this in the show notes for you. And I think this is an important. Um, move that we're seeing, I think, in the context of the general uh, shift we're seeing politically, where we're, <clears throat> the, the Fed has not met its uh, inflation target in the sense that it, inflation has been running lower than where the Fed would normally uh, want to see it running. And so because of that for so long, uh, because it's been happening that way for so long, I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing Powell uh, and the Fed in general kind of moving towards this more unemployment-driven uh, policy. And so obviously, if we start to get spikes in inflation, we start to get problems there, um, then of course, that might become an issue. And I want to say that uh, you know, the way we're using the term inflation here, we're talking about the CPI or just uh, consumer inflation. I personally think that a lot of where we would normally have seen uh, the zero interest policy and all of this kind of stuff go into um, the CPI in the past, I think what has happened is that it has moved all into asset markets, and that's why asset markets are doing so well. Uh, you know, the S&P 500 this week uh, is up dramatically uh, on Friday relative to Monday. Uh, with most of that increase coming the first three days of the week, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, similar story. Uh, even the Russell 2000 index, which is kind of a small cap index, a small small company index, um, that is also up on the week, although uh, it was uh, kind of in fits and starts. Uh, and gold itself, even uh, you know, so normally we would see um, you know gold really taking off and going nuts uh, when we're seeing an inflation risk, and it has come up a little bit this week, but again, kind of bouncing around. Uh, but it, it it kind of finished a, a, a skosh higher than it started the week. So there is maybe some indication that people are a little bit worried about this kind of inflationary thing. But I think what's happening is is <clears throat> most of this is going into asset markets. 
And um, it, it's potentially the case that we could see the Fed um, more and more taking action uh, in lieu of Congress to try to um, bolster the economy more generally. Now, of course, that doesn't necessarily help the average guy, but, um, you know, it, they, they do what they do, right? Uh, so the next thing I want to talk about, and, and this is kind of the crux of the whole thing, is the uh, coronavirus stimulus. I think in general, uh, you know, our, our, our economies in the West are, are so sensitive to the uh, stimulus stuff, and they're, they're just addicted to it uh, ever since 2008. Um, there's been so much uh, put on the ability of the federal government to really monkey with policy and completely uh, change kind of the way things are uh, uh, working and the way the, the way the conditions are playing out. And so, what I think um, what I think we're we're going to see is that we're going to see this impasse continue. Um, probably at least until in mid September when they get back in session. Apparently, Pelosi and the White House folks, Mark Meadows, have been uh, having some discussions on um, all of this, uh, the 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 Rona relief stuff. But we we haven't um, we haven't seen them come to terms. And I think it's mostly uh, you know as we as we always know, right the. The Republicans are, are, are famous for being, uh, you know, folding like cheap suits and, and the Democrats are famous for holding out for their own stuff. And um, they're, they're really not wanting to let this crisis go to waste. Uh, and so they're pretty far apart on this stuff. Um, a lot of this has to do with the unemployment, has to do with bailouts for states um, and, and Various organizations, uh, journalism, uh, you know, of course, the the uh, the militant wing of the Democrat Party. Um, but but what's interesting here, too, I think, is that uh, we're we're seeing that uh, Meadows is kind of holding his own here. He's still saying, no, we're you know, we're not going to come to the you know, we're not going to come to your number. Um, and I think Trump has some good arguments about some of this stuff. And one of the things he mentioned is that, you know, we're not going to bail out these Democrat run states that have been, um, you know, mismanaging their own economies for so long. Um, and so I think that makes sense that we don't want to punish uh, sort of the uh, uh, appropriate uh, financial management. And I think that's prudent. I mean, I, you know, just just because we're interested, you know, in this on this show, just because we're interested in um, Catholic social teaching and and the uh, the government doing providing its role uh, in, in its duty to support citizens, that doesn't mean that we just want to turn the thing into a, a money machine. Um, that's obviously uh, not the direction that we want to go. And of course, these are you know uh, serious circumstances. But again. Um, you know, prudence is a virtue and you don't want to, you don't want to punish that. Um, or, or, um, I guess in, in the sense that you don't want to just uh, provide a free bailout no matter what to anyone who isn't prudent. Um, especially when, uh, you know, you, you can really create some really negative incentives and, and you can really, um, kind of crush subsidiarity, uh, very easily in this. So I'm going to, I'm going to provide a couple of links here and these are, <clears throat> mainly from left-wing sources, so they're going to have more of a, a pro-Pelosi type of bent. Um, but I think what we're seeing, uh, there's a great tweet from Zero Hedge's account here that I'll, I'll put up, um, and it's it's from a survey of, uh, <clears throat> are jobs plentiful or are they hard to get? And this, uh, this graph goes back to 2015, 
And up until the beginning of 2016, um, the, the number of jobs that are hard to get versus jobs that are plentiful or the number of people saying that jobs are plentiful versus hard to get is running about the same. And then they start to diverge at the beginning of 2016. And then, um, with, with the jobs hard to get declining and the jobs plentiful going up, up, up. Um, and we see this trend continue through 17 and 18. Um, and then in 19 kind of start to flatten out. Uh, and then of course, uh, you know, once the affliction hits, uh, and all of that, um, we start to see that, uh, just completely dive off a cliff. All the jobs that are plentiful or all the people saying jobs are plentiful, uh, you fall off the cliff. People saying uh, jobs hard to get uh, raises dramatically. Um, and then it's interesting because then you see that reverse a little bit after the stimulus gets passed, right? So March, April, uh, we start to see these numbers kind of bounce around. And, and I think the reason we saw that is because, again, we were all kind of, um, we, we all got a big cash infusion and we started, um, you know, spending a lot of that and a lot of the retail uh, that was crushed earlier in the year started to come back. Um, you know, and, and I can see where some people are going to say, well, that's a good thing, right? I mean, we, you know, we can't have this uh, ridiculous consumer society. We can't have everybody obsessed with just buying stuff all the time, um, et cetera, et cetera. And sure, that's fine. That's a, that's a, that's a fair thing to say. Uh, but the issue is that that has to be a long run change. That can't be a right now change because what happens is you have, um, you have a massive amount of poverty and suffering uh, in that process. And, and the shorter the window you force that over, the more, the, the worse that can be. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've been reading, um, I've been reading some, some older books on uh, the, the church's teaching and stuff like this on uh, pro- property and, and uh, the acquisition of property and stuff. And uh, this one book that I've been reviewing again is, um, by George O'Brien called an, uh, an essay on medieval economic teaching. And in here, he mentions that uh, poverty is an occasion of sin, right? So this is, be, you know, poverty is not a good thing because it makes us, um, it, it, it increases the ability for us to, um, to give into things like uh, theft and, and other things. Um, and so we don't like this. We don't want uh, just to cause suffering just so we can uh, kind of shift a paradigm here. Um, it's, it's a good thing to shift that paradigm, but let's let's do it in the appropriate time frame. Let's shift the paradigm um, by and, and not not create as much suffering as possible, right? I mean, this is just silly. So anyway, this number, these numbers improve, right? We start to get more jobs plentiful and the number of jobs, you know, the number of people saying jobs are hard to get kind of crashes back down again. Um, but then recently here, since uh, July, we started to see those go in the wrong direction yet again. So in other words, we're starting to see a spike up uh, in the number of people saying jobs are hard to get and a drop in jobs plentiful. And I think a lot of this is probably tied to consumer sector and the business sector. You know, we got this big cash infusion and then all the business travel, uh, you know, I mean, not that, not that any of that really picked up too much, but to the extent that it picked up at all, um, you know, that's going to drop off again. We've got, um, you know, a lot of the business loans and stuff like that from, from the, uh, the, the, the first round, 
uh, is, you know, that's been kind of played out or uh, spent or whatever. And now everybody's looking for that other uh, round, that next round. Uh, and of course, rightly so in some cases, right? Of course, some people uh, really are having a very hard time. Uh, lots of maybe not even just losing your job, but pay cuts um, and, and things like this. Uh, very difficult for people and people are trying to make adjustments. Um, and it's, and it's very good. I think at the very least for us to have some kind of a bandaid to, uh, sort of bridge the gap, right? I mean, this was the, this was the, um, this was the discussion the first time around from the white house was, you know, bridge the gap. We want to bridge the gap. We don't want to make everyone dependent on the government, sending them a check every month. Um, so I think there's, there's an interesting bit there. And I think we're, we're going to, we're going to see these numbers in terms of jobs hard to get, uh, rising until we get another round because everyone is just so focused on the stimulus. Everybody just wants another cash round. And again, I, you know, I, I understand why we would need that. I understand why that's a good thing. Uh, but I also think that we have some, um, we also have some serious issues when, when the fundamentals start um, responding only to the, the possibility of stimulus, uh, then we'll really have kind of reverse things and we're in, we're in some serious, uh, some serious trouble. Um, I think because we, we don't want, we don't want the government, we don't want the, the government to have that role. We don't want the economy to be in that position. Uh, we want people to be able to, um, uh, we want, we want people to have commerce, uh, at the local level, right. Uh, in, in the sense that they, that they should, um, the, uh, the next thing here I want to say is uh, another, just another bit of evidence uh, about this is U.S. consumer confidence replunge, replunges in August to six-year lows. So this is another zero hedge piece I'll link. Um, and it, again, same story. Uh, things kind of uh, got a little bit better and then they got a whole lot worse again. And so um, the, this is very interesting to see this these kind of uh, uh, relatively large movements over short periods of time like this because I think what it's showing us is how sensitive the markets are to the uh, to the stimulus and to and how how much everyone is looking at the stimulus uh, itself in terms of its ability to keep businesses afloat uh, keep families in a financial position that's uh, that's sort of livable um, and all of that so not a good sign in my view but we you know we will see what uh, we will see what comes out of this and uh, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic that we'll get a deal in September and, um, that will mean checks coming late September, early October. I think it's, um, it's, it's a, it's very much a political game. Uh, and, and I don't really like to see such a reliance on, uh, you know, every, everything just sort of moving up and down with whatever the, uh, whatever the whim of, of, uh, Congress is. I, I think that violates subsidiarity in, in a huge way. So speaking of subsidiarity, uh, I often talk about buying local and supporting Catholic businesses. So I want to make you aware of a great business run by a young Catholic couple. Uh, they recently got married and they just had their first kid. Uh, Colette's Carvings makes beautiful wooden plaques for your home. I bought one of the first ones they made for my son's room. 
He's named after St. Francis Xavier, and Colette's carvings did a masterful job making a custom wall hanging to honor his namesake. Themes range from saints to custom family and nursery signs to holiday decor. Devotionals and decor from our home to yours. Check out Colette's carvings on Etsy at the link in the show notes. Great, great group of folks. They just did a giveaway this week uh, to get their Instagram following up. So find them on Instagram, Colette's Carvings, uh, and uh, hopefully they'll do another giveaway soon. So the next bit of news here. So looking, okay. So we 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 talked about the fact that the economy is kind of uh, addicted to this crack cocaine stimulus. Um, and we talked about some of the indicators or the economy-wide indicators that are showing us uh, evidence of this, right? This jobs thing, uh, consumer confidence. Um, but now we're going to see some of the fallout in terms of, uh, you know, where, where, are those, where are those jobs hard to get? Where, where, what is, what's going on exactly? And so I found this Yahoo Finance piece that I'll link uh, again, of course. And um, Coca-Cola is doing, uh, is offering uh a global severance program. They just announced that yesterday. Four thousand workers in the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Canada are going to be offering are going to be offered buyout packages. So this will be a voluntary layoff. So it'll be like, hey, uh, you know, here, here's some money right now, and we'll we, so we can eliminate your job. And of course, you know, that's a better thing for people uh, for the average guy than. Um, then the alternative, the, the sort of involuntary layoffs, but we could see those happen, um, especially if, again, the sort of addiction to the, the crack cocaine stimulus. Um, the American and United Airlines both warning with uh, both talking about some big job cuts. Uh, nearly 3,000 pilots uh, will be furloughed between October 1st and November 30th uh, as far as United Airlines goes. Uh, United Airlines wants another $25 billion, <laughs> so the, sort of their ransom uh, for these 3,000 pilots. American Airlines talking about 19,000 jobs uh, furloughed or laid off uh, starting October 1st. And again, they're wanting another uh, round of uh, stimulus money likely sent to them directly. They're not going to necessarily be uh, content with uh, giving that to you and me. Uh, Salesforce, which is a huge employer, um, talking about uh, their um, potentially a thousand jobs being on the line if they can't, if people can't sort of reorganize and find another job within the company. Uh, Mark, Mark Binoff, um, or I don't know how that's how you say his name, Binoff, I don't know. Um, he, he promised back in March to, to hold, to, to do no lay, no significant layoffs at all for 90 days. And, and of course that's uh, long since expired, uh, Bed Bath and Beyond again, you know, we're talking about these companies, these, these retail companies with physical locations, um, Bed Bath and Beyond, uh, they cut 2,800 jobs on the 26th of this month, uh, earlier this week. And they're planning to permanently shut down 200 stores over the next two years. Uh, and again, you know, Jeff Bezos just hit 200 million, 200 billion dollars in personal wealth. And what do you think this is doing, right? We we don't have alternatives now. To the extent that we had alternatives, that Bed Bath and Beyond was an alternative to some of uh, uh, Amazon's business. Uh, I heard this week. Uh, that they that that Amazon is uh, trying to cut a deal with one of the largest shopping mall owning companies uh, to um, 
to try to, again, <laughs> get into this physical space, right? I mean, uh, Amazon uh, is in the grocery business, right? They've been in the grocery business for a couple of years now. And so now, so why are they wanting to lease all this mall space? What's going on here? Um, you can just see how, you know, the, the, this is sort of the, the old Walmart story writ large, right? The old Walmart story is Walmart shows up in your town, they cut their prices, they knock all those small mom and pops out of business, and then they, um, they just raise their prices back up to wherever is, is profitable for them. And, and I've never read the biography, I want to, but uh, supposedly in the, the autobiography of, the, uh, of the, uh, the Walmart guy, can't remember the name right now, um, he flat out admits to doing this and he, he's happy about it. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is Amazon doing the same thing, right? They use this convenience model. They cut these great deals with the United Postal Service, United States Postal Service. Um, they build their own shipping infrastructure and they undercut everybody. They pay out, uh, super cheap, um, you know, uh, wholesale margins to the people who are selling on their platform. And then they, uh, you know, now they're wanting to buy in all this physical space. I think it was something like 200 malls. Again, I heard this on a, I don't know, I heard this on the radio or something, so I can't really link to it, but, uh, they, they bought into uh, this mall company owns like 200 mall spaces around the country. That's unreal. Um, so I, you know, <sighs> What what a mess! What an absolute mess! And like I've like I've been saying since the beginning on all of this, uh, you know, globalism begets globalism. Uh, globalism gave us a global pandemic, and globalism is now uh, feeding off of the results of the chaos of that pandemic. Uh, let's see. So the last thing I want to cover here uh, is some of the tax uh, differences in the tax plans between Biden and Trump. And a lot of this is going to go into our update of the um, the uh, uh, the Leonine Institute Voter Guide. So right now, if you go to leoinstitute.org, uh, you can check out our 2020 Voter Guide. Um, but we're going to be updating that very soon, uh, and and sort of focusing on the. Uh, the, the the vice president candidates and the uh, some of the specific policy proposals and, and sort of reevaluating our uh, our indices. There's also some news with the American Solidarity Party kind of jumping into some of the recent uh, political debacles that we uh, we need to address. But um, anyway, uh, in terms of the tax stuff here, it's kind of interesting that you know Biden Biden has has done a very poor job communicating. Uh, some of his uh, uh, policy ideas here. And so what, what has happened is he, he keeps talking about how he, he doesn't want to raise taxes on the middle class, but then he talks about wanting to repeal the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Well, the Tax, just, the tax Cuts and Jobs Act was Trump's uh, you know, legislation back in 17 that uh, did, I mean, did cut taxes for a lot of the middle class. Um, and so, you know, Biden's poor messaging doesn't really comport with what he's actually saying he wants to do. And so I've got a couple of articles from Tax Foundation, which, again, has a bent, but I think uh, I think their model's fairly fair. And it's um, I, I think their analysis makes sense. Uh, and, and I don't think I don't have any reason to believe that they've been just wildly inaccurate uh, in terms of their general equilibrium model. Um, or in terms of uh, their discussion, and I think I think their discussion is very very easy to understand um, if you're just somebody who's interested in economics. So, 
what Biden wants to do is um, focus on people with uh, income, uh, earned income of $400,000 or more. And he wants to impose this massive 12.4% old age survivors and disability insurance, in other words, social security payroll tax, um, on income earned above 400000 evenly split between employers and employees. So in other words, he's, he's going to take the 6.2% that you pay, uh, that you and I pay out of our checks, um, uh, and this, you know, this this is capped at one hundred thirty-seven thousand seven hundred. So if you make more than one hundred thirty-seven thousand seven hundred, then you don't pay anything on the income you earn above that um, for the Social Security. You just pay that percentage on the income at that level and below. So they, it kind of creates this donut hole thing where there's like, uh, if you earn, let's say you earn 200000 well, you have some of your income is taxed and some of it isn't. But then once you get to four hundred, uh, it's just, it's odd, right? So if you're making four fifty, well, 50000 is taxed at the 6.2%, and then, the, you know, your first 137000 is taxed, but then that middle part isn't, and it's, it's really weird. Um, so you can read the piece to get a better idea of this. Um they are wanting to, he's wanting to shift some of the income tax rates uh, up, back up to 39.6% from 37% for the top tax bracket. Um, there's uh, a lot of capital gains type discussions, uh, a lot of discussion about um, itemized deductions. And, uh, of course, the, the ever-popular freaking renewable energy tax cuts, of course. Those are very important. Uh, and, and a bunch of other things. There's, um, there is a little bit of discussion of foreign tax credits and stuff, but, but not really enough to make me very happy. And so what's, what's interesting is Tax Foundation goes through and they talk about the economic effects of this. And so overall, this would uh, reduce uh, GDP by 1.51%, reduce the capital stock of the United States by 3.29%, reduce wage rates by nearly 1% and cut about 600,000 full-time equivalent jobs. Uh, so the revenue effect obviously is positive, right? It would, it would increase revenue, um, mostly in, in theory, taking that uh, out of the pockets of people earning 400,000 and above. But what's interesting is that, again, based on the Tax Foundation's model, um, if you go down to table three at this link, and again, all these links are going to be in the show notes for you. Um, if you go down to the, to table three here near the bottom of the article, uh, distributional effect of, of former vice president Biden's tax plan and every income group, every income quintile takes a hit of some percentage on their income. So you're actually not, uh, again, this is based on tax foundations model. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's actually going to cut everyone's income, uh, because the assumption is that, uh, with this lower GDP and all this kind of thing, and with these, uh, the, the rearranging of the deck chairs on the tax rates and stuff that it actually, that, that the incidence of the tax actually falls on everyone, not just on the wealthiest. And I think, again, I think that makes sense. I think there's ways to focus tax incidents in certain groups and on certain, uh, you know, on certain types of, 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 of earnings, that's possible. Um, but you can't ever do it perfectly. And, um, 
to the extent that you think you're doing it perfectly, but you're not, you're, you're missing something very important uh, just from an empirical standpoint. If you think you're going to only tax people at 400000 and above, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> They're just going to find other ways to make money. And I think especially the ignorance of this, that, that uh, you know, Trump has really put them in a terrible position because they really can no longer talk about tariffs. They can no longer talk about um, their ability to keep companies here in the U.S. Um, and anytime you, know, you just read through this plan, and there's nothing here that would keep these companies from just offshoring everything and, um, and just avoiding a lot of these taxes. Um, there's a little bit in terms of the personal taxes, but I mean, I think this is just silly. This is just ignorance because uh, obviously people are going to find ways around this. And unless you're actually taxing the offshoring and the trade itself, then you're not actually going to get anywhere in terms of improving the lot of the people in these other income quintiles. So I just don't, I just don't think it makes sense. And so this is interesting. The, the, the more recent article of the two, the one on Trump uh, published this week, uh, and again, it's pretty light on uh, specifics because it's it's mainly based on the, uh, the Trump's speech and stuff like this at the RNC, which you know you're not gonna you're not gonna give your headline evening speech and the the minutia and details of tax policy, of course. But um, so this this addresses the tax forgiveness of your. Uh, your payroll taxes talks a little bit about that talks about, um, the, um, some of the individual income tax things they want to do, um, where, uh, they want to keep a lot of the tax cuts and jobs act stuff, uh, and, and extend those. The, um, it, it talks a little bit about the, uh, the, some of the other income, individual income tax things like reducing rates, uh, kind of in the middle of the income spectrum, which again, you know, we talk about middle-class tax cuts. This is one way to, to really target certain groups. And I think it's easier to target, uh, lower income and middle income individuals than it is, uh, uh, um, than it is to target, um, higher income individuals because they, they're, they're more mobile. Um, and they, they can pay more money for, uh, accountants to figure out how to get away from this stuff. Um, so tariffs and stuff like this, they don't have a ton on tariffs, but I think it, it's nice that they kind of lay out some of the things that Trump wants to do. And again, and I think, again, this makes sense. This is part of the way uh, sort of federal or national level governments have, have, uh, have done a good job in some ways. And that's dealing with tariffs because, again, tariffs and, and trade policy is not just an economic policy. It's also part of uh, a diplomacy. It's part of uh, uh, international relations broadly. And so I think uh, using the tariffs to incentivize companies to stay here in the U.S., to employ people here in the U.S., um, I think this is a this is should be part of uh, a sound strategy to raise revenue in smart ways in the U.S. I mean, Biden can raise tax rates all he wants, um, but unless he's addressing these international trade issues, then the money's just going to flow somewhere else. Uh, you know, people making a half million dollars or more can just go live somewhere else, uh, where wherever they can, um, you know, find a lower tax rate or or whatever, uh, and they can find ways to get around it. But if if we're if we're kind of starting at this meta level and talking about tariffs and stuff like that, uh, th this makes things a lot clearer in terms of uh, putting the country first, uh, broadly speaking, uh, than worrying about precisely what the tax rates are and and that sort of thing. 
So I think that's a good review for this week, and I hope that you've got something out of it. Uh, if you have questions, please don't hesitate to contact me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, or via email. And that link is also, uh, my email is also in the show notes and all those other links are as well. If you enjoy the show, please uh, consider uh, supporting me on Patreon or Subscribestar. Um, but most of all, please share the show. I'm so glad uh, there are folks interested in uh, economics uh, from a Catholic perspective, sort of right-wing analysis of uh, economic conditions, um, and, and truly community and family-focused economics. So please do share the show. Uh, I appreciate when you do that. Uh, but mostly thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.